RTHK News. It's one o'clock. I'm Pierre Tremblay. The top story is the housing chief says the supply measures announced yesterday are about policy, not prices. A senior government engineer claims hundreds of deaths from landslides could have been prevented and thousands of Britons flocked to get citizenship of EU countries. The housing secretary, Frank Chan, has refuted critics who claim that the housing measures announced yesterday will fail to curb soaring prices, saying they've got their focus wrong. Amid growing public pressure to tackle the problem, officials unveiled a slew of measures to boost home supply, including making subsidized housing more affordable and a vacancy tax on unoccupied new flats. But Mr. Chan told RTHK's Timmy Sung the critics are missing the point. As far as those six initiatives are concerned, they basically fulfill their policy objectives. The pricing issue is a different issue, which is uh, different from what the six initiatives are aiming at. So you're saying this criticism are not fair? I would say that the criticism is not related to the six initiatives as as well as those uh, policy objectives that we are aiming at. The housing minister also said the housing authority is expected to come up with stricter resale conditions for homeownership scheme flats next month. He also revealed officials had identified a temporary car park in Lychee Cock that could be used for transitional housing. The head of the government's geotechnical engineering office says the vast majority of deaths from landslides here over the past few decades could have been prevented. Records show that around 470 people were killed by landslides in the past in the last 50 years. Bun Waikang said that since his office was created in 1977, it had worked to make thousands of slopes safe around the city and saved many lives. He said that the relatively small number of landslides in recent years was due to low rainfall, but that climate change means the public shouldn't become complacent. The landslide risk in Hong Kong will increase due to climate change, and we are doing works to mitigate this effect. Apart from engineering work, we also do many public education to advise the general public on the precautionary measures that they should take. Mr. Pun also said that his office is studying the potential of underground caverns for land supply. He said 48 locations have been earmarked as possible useful sites, but more meaningful results will take time. We have done some study and produced a cavern master plan. At this stage, it's just a tool that shows where are the area suitable for cavern development. We are yet to do more site-specific studies to confirm the planning and engineering feasibility of the cavern area for further development. The number of British citizens getting the nationality of another European Union country has sharply increased since the vote to leave the EU in 2016. Figures collated by the BBC show that at last year, almost 13,000 Britons acquired another European nationality, seven times higher than in 2015. German and French passports were the most popular. An immigration lawyer, Nick Rollison, said the figures are unsurprising. People are really looking for uh, an opportunity to keep that door open into Europe by having that citizenship. They are, as they are now, free to go, free to work anywhere, free to live anywhere. And I think it's that idea of freedom and that they're not affected by Brexit, which is really what's motivating them. Divisions have already begun to emerge between European Union leaders over how to implement the bloc's hard-won agreement on curbing migration. The deal, which was reached after marathon negotiations in Brussels, involves creating secure centres to receive migrants within the EU, in countries willing to build them. But France and Austria have already ruled out hosting the centres, arguing they should only be in countries where migrants first arrive. 
the Austrian Chancellor, Sebastian Kurz, said the migrants should be processed before they reach the EU. This is a really significant step. Only by ensuring that rescued people will be brought to third countries and not onto European soil can we destroy the traffickers' business model and massively reduce the number of people coming into Europe. The important thing now is the speedy implementation of these proposals because they are only worth something if they're implemented. The airline Virgin Atlantic says it'll no longer work with the British Home Office to forcibly deport people who are believed to be illegal immigrants. Campaigners say it's in response to the wrongful removal of Caribbean immigrants who'd been in Britain for decades. The BBC's Benando reports. There was outrage when it became known that 63 members of the so-called Windrush generation, those who were invited to Britain from the Caribbean to alleviate post-war labour shortages, had been forcibly deported as part of the Home Office's hostile environment policy to immigrants. The policy was championed while Theresa May was Home Secretary. It emerged that many were sent back because the Home Office itself had destroyed their records. In a statement, Virgin Atlantic said it had informed officials that it would no longer play a part in the enforced deportation of anyone deemed to be an illegal immigrant, saying the decision was in the best interest of its customers and its people. You're listening to RTHK. The time is five minutes past one. Canada has responded to President Trump's tariffs on steel and aluminum with retaliatory duties on more than 12 billion U.S. dollars worth of U.S. goods. The Canadian tariffs, which come into effect on Sunday, target U.S. steel, aluminum and consumer goods, ranging from orange juice to toilet paper. Canada's Foreign Minister, Chrystia Freeland, told a news conference that her government had been left with no choice by the United States. We will not escalate and we will not back down. Judging by the feedback I have received in the past few weeks, countless Canadians of many diverse political points of view agree with this approach. I cannot emphasize enough the regret with which we take these countermeasures. We are acting very much in sorrow, not in anger. And General Motors has warned the tariffs President Trump has threatened to impose on imported cars and vehicle parts could undermine its competitiveness. The largest U.S. carmaker said erecting trade barriers risked increasing its cost and making it vulnerable to retaliatory measures. Police in the U.S. state of Maryland say an attack at a newspaper office in which five people were killed had been planned. Jared Ramos has been charged with five counts of first-degree murder after the attack on the Capital Gazette newspaper in Annapolis. The BBC's Nara Taufik has more. The suspected gunman had a long-running dispute with the paper. In 2011, the Capital Gazette covered a criminal case against Jared Ramos after he pleaded guilty to harassing a former classmate. He subsequently filed a defamation lawsuit against the paper and its columnist. The case made its way through Maryland's courts but was ultimately thrown out as baseless. Ramos often criticized the Capital Gazette on social media, including yesterday before the attack. Doug Ford, the brother of late Toronto Mayor Rob Ford, has been sworn in as the new Premier of Canada's most populous province, Ontario. The position is one of the most powerful in Canadian politics. During his campaign, Mr. Ford said he wanted to reverse policies designed to reduce greenhouse gases and cut personal and corporate taxes. The German industrial giant Tyson Krupp has agreed to merge its steelmaking business with India's Tata Steel, paving the way for Europe's biggest shakeup in the industry for more than a decade. The new company will become the second largest steel manufacturer in the region after ArcelorMittal. It'll have its headquarters in the Netherlands, employing 48,000 people across Europe. 
The Democratic Republic of Congo says it's decided to allow oil exploration in two important national parks. The move has been strongly opposed by environmental activists. The BBC's Steve Jackson reports. Virunga National Park is one of the most ecologically diverse places on Earth and home to more than half the world's remaining population of critically endangered mountain gorillas. Salonga, hundreds of kilometres to the west, contains Africa's largest protected area of rainforest. Both parks have scored some conservation successes in recent years, but in the Democratic Republic of Congo, such efforts are constantly under threat from commercial interests and armed groups. The Congolese cabinet has said it plans to open up around a fifth of Virunga to oil exploration. Environmentalists are dismayed. The Nigerian government says it plans to redistribute public money stolen by the former president, Sani Abacha, through a scheme to support poorer households from as early as next month. Switzerland recently returned more than $300 million looted by General Abacha during the 1990s. The BBC's Mayeni Jones reports from Lagos. The federal government already sends cash transfers to poor and vulnerable Nigerians across 20 states, including people displaced by the Boko Haram insurgency in the northeast. The government says its checking and electronic tracking system for cash payments is fully functional before it allocates the recovered funds to vulnerable households. If all goes well, the money recovered from the Abacha family will be joined to this program. One of the conditions set by the Swiss government when it returned the money to Nigeria was that it should be used to alleviate poverty with the oversight of the World Bank. To end the news, our top stories. Once again, the housing chief says supply... The, me- the supply measures announced yesterday are about policy, not prices. A senior government engineer claims hundreds of deaths from landslides could have been prevented and thousands of Britons flocked to get citizenship of EU countries. The news from RTHK. Welcome to this week's edition of World Vibes with myself, Pierre Ramley, in the chair for the next two hours. This week, we have a special treat on offer. We sample tracks from six new albums and one new EP from the Americas to Europe with a very strong Lusitanian flavor in the mix. As always, Giovanotti says it so well in Italian, we're still the belly button of the world. He is from Rome. And a special thanks to Michel Dupuis from the radio station CKVL FM in Montreal for the six albums, of which we'll be sampling the first three in this first hour. Specifically, Karina Nini from Brazil and her album Samba Jubem, Fadaz from Suzy Silva, Canadian Portuguese, and Diogo Ramos, a Brazilian Canadian with whom we start off with, and that's his album, Samba Sans Frontières. That's Samba Without Borders. It's his 15th album. He's been living in Quebec, Montréal, for seven years, and on that, his latest and 15th album, he mixes his native Bossa Nova from Brazil with uh, works by Félix Leclerc, Gilles Vigneault, and uh, poetry, uh, French-language poetry from Pierre Perrault. His album was also publicly financed which is quite interesting in itself. We go to our first track from Diogo Ramos, based in Montreal, and that one is uh, the first track. And title track, Samba Sans Frontières, Samba Without Frontiers. (laughs) 